Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. I'm Nathan Owens. Sitting across the desk from me, as usual, is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Uh, Good evening, Brother Nathan, and good evening to those who listen to the program. Thank you so much for allowing us to be in your home this evening. There are a number of ways that you can interact with us in tonight's episode. And we're going to jump into some questions. We're going to jump into some material in a little bit. But let me start out by sharing this contact information so that you can call in and ask your question live on the air if you'd like. To do that, you can call 1-268-462-7420. I'll give that to you again. Again, this is the phone number to be put live on the air. And what will happen if you call that number is Sister Marianne is going to answer the call and she will get just a little bit of basic information from you, then put you on hold and I will pick you up on air and you can ask your question to Pastor Murphy live on the air. Again, it's a safe place to ask your question. We're not here to insult or belittle. We have a number of questions that have come in, Pastor, since last week's episode. Let me start with one from St. Kitts Nevis. One of my co-workers, who claims to be a Christian, keeps saying that we are interpreting the Scriptures incorrectly. She said that a lot of things that God said in the Old Testament, he was talking to the Jews and not the Gentiles. And in the New Testament, she said that the Scriptures in such as Second Chronicles 7.14, that God was talking to the Jews and not to us, the Gentiles. Another scripture where it says in Jeremiah, something about the plans I have for you, not to harm you, etc., which is Jeremiah 29.11. God was talking to the Jews and not to us, but we hold on to them as if they are for us. But Pastor Murphy, is that true? I asked her if Jesus said he was the same yesterday, today, and forever. How then is it that these scriptures don't apply to us? I'm not confused, but I would like some clarification on these matters. Well, the first thing I would um, say is that I agree with the person that, in actual fact, the Old Testament writings were originally intended for the Jews. There's no question about that. There was no church. The church was started on the day of Pentecost. Um, so there is some validity to what she's saying that uh, the Old Testament passages are speaking directly to the Jewish people and it had no reference to the Gentiles. Now there are two covenants. There's the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And I would like to say that 
in reality, um, God speaks in the Old Testament to his people, the Jews, and he speaks to the church in the New Testament. God has nothing to say to the Gentile world except repent and turn to God for salvation. But having said that, the problem that um, where there needs to be clarification is that even though the words were spoken to the Jews, it still has relevance to believers. And I'll explain to you why I mean that. Because all the spiritual principles and all the moral principles that you find in the Old Testament are transcendent principles that are applicable across the board, no matter what generation. They're timeless principles. And the Bible gives us a basis for um, applying Old Testament truths uh, to the believer today. For example, uh, if you look at Second Timothy chapter three, verse sixteen and seventeen, Nathan, can you read? Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen says, "I could probably do it off the top of my head, but to make sure I get it right, let me read it. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof." for correction, for instruction in righteousness. It's very, very clear. All Scripture, not just New Testament Scripture, all Scripture. As a matter of fact, when Paul wrote these words, he was referring to the Old Testament. So Paul is saying that uh, the Old Testament uh, is profitable for doctrine, that it's a teaching, principles, for reproof, uh, that is telling somebody when something is right or when something is wrong, for correction, when somebody's gone off course, to put them back on course, and then, of course, for instruction, uh, how to live righteously. So to say that the Old Testament has no application to the, New Te- to the New Testament believer clearly is a contradiction what Paul is teaching here in this particular passage. He himself is saying that the Old Testament has relevance and is profitable for New Testament believers. There's another reference in uh, Corinthians chapter 1, uh, uh, maybe look at verse 10, read from verse, uh, chapter t- 1 Corinthians chapter 10, read from verse 1. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'll stop you along the way. Huh? Okay. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye would be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Verse 2, And were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Go ahead, read. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples, to the intent we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. And then verse 11. Verse 11 says, Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. It's very, very clear. The Apostle Paul is using the the life of Israel and the experience of Israel in the Old Testament. And Paul is applying that to the believers. And he's saying that they are set for us as examples or types of um, lifestyles that we should not engage in. And he talked about uh, five things that, um, that we should learn from their life. That is that we shouldn't live a life of lust, 
We shouldn't involve in idolatry. We should not be engaging in fornication. We should not tempt Christ, and we should not murmur. And then he said, these things are examples, and there are admonitions or warnings to us. So clearly to say that the Old Testament has no relevance to the New Testament believer, and the believer is misinterpreting the Bible by applying biblical principles in the Old Testament uh, to the New Testament situation, is clearly a false statement and is contrary to what the Bible teaches. All Scripture is designed for the believer and to help the believer in that regard. There's another reference, Nathan, in Romans chapter 15, verse uh, 4. Romans 15, verse 4 says... For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Again, that's a very clear statement. And remember that Paul is making a reference to the Old Testament, that they were written for our learning, for our education, for our instruction, that we would have patience, we'd have comfort, and we would have hope. So uh, clearly this person who's made that statement um, doesn't really have a uh, understanding of the biblical truth and how Bible, the Bible applies, and they have a false understanding of biblical interpretation. The other thing I would, I would point out very clearly that you can see how the Apostle Paul used the Old Testament to teach the New Testament believers' principles. For example, look at Romans 4. Uh, we can't read all of that, but you'll find it in Romans chapter 4 when Paul is dealing with the doctrine, the great doctrine of justification by faith. He uses Abraham and showed that Abraham was justified by faith, like we are justified by faith. And then he uses David uh, when you understand what true forgiveness is and can rejoice in the fact, even though David had committed such a great sin, yet David rejoices in God's grace in forgiving him and pardoning him. So in dealing with this great doctrine of justification, Romans chapter 4, the Apostle Paul takes Abraham and he takes David and he uses their life to teach us so that this is not a new doctrine this is something way back in the book of Genesis right uh, so Paul is using Old Testament to teach the believers New Testament principles look also at um, uh, 1 Corinthians 9 9 for it is written in the law of Moses Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care of oxen? Again, it, this is also cited again in 1 Timothy 5.18. Uh, but what Paul is teaching there, he's dealing with the, the, the idea of supporting pastors and leaders. And Paul says in the Old Testament, when the, when the, um, the ox was grinding the, the corn to take the, 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 the kernel out of the shaft, the ox was working, and he was working, and he was able to eat some of it. You, didn't, you couldn't uh, muzzle him because he having done the work, he has a right to eat. And Paul uses that as an illustration to say, you think that was only in the Old Testament teachable animals? No, it's a teacher, it's the principle that the person that labors in the Lord's work is worthy of being supported. And he uses an Old Testament example. And, and by the way, we probably wouldn't have known the application of that had not Paul taken it from that context and applied it yeah. uh, in the New Testament. So that showed you quite clearly how Paul has used that. And then uh, we don't want to go to in, in any great detail, but in Galatians chapter 4, verse 19 to 30, Paul is comparing the two covenants. And he takes uh, Abraham and he uses Isaac and um, um, Ishmael and he uses Sarah and Hagar to compare the two, one was of the flesh, one was of the spirit, one related to the old covenant, one related to the new covenant. So he takes that Old Testament 
story, narrative, and applies a spiritual truth through their lives, etc. So clearly, uh, we have a right to use Old Testament principles, Old Testament narratives, and apply the truths that are there to saints today. So to make the charge that what was said in the Old Testament only was said to the Jew and has no relevance, clearly these are um, conclusions that uh, the person clearly doesn't understand what they're talking about and really doesn't understand the biblical use of the Scriptures. And maybe uh, I would recommend that person be given that verse in Timothy that talks about all Scripture inspired of God, powerful doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction, righteousness. So um, to answer the question, um, the person is clearly wrong on this issue. However, I would say this. There are things in the Bible that are in the Old Testament are no longer applicable in the Old New Testament context. For example, the ceremonial laws. We don't have to sacrifice anymore because Christ, uh, who is the substance, those were the shadows, the ritual uh, practices like the feast and all of those kind of things that were fulfilled already. Um, the civic regulations that govern the Old Testament, people don't govern us in our modern society. We're not living on a theocracy. Uh, dietary restrictions, those were also lifted, in, as Paul makes it very clear uh, in, in New Testament teaching. The agricultural practices, those ancient, you couldn't make one seed with another seed and uh, let the land land lay follow for seven years. Uh, those are not things that are relevant today because we're not living on a theocracy. And then the dress code. You could not mix certain fabrics with certain fabrics. Uh, all of these are restrictions, and those are not repeated in the New Testament. Um, they do teach us vital truths. Uh, about the need for sacrifice in the Old Testament and, and the need for blood, etc., etc. But we don't have to practice these things today. So, in a sense, it's the moral and spiritual principles that are transcendent and timeless that can be applied to the believer. The ceremonial and the ritual and the civic, etc., doesn't apply to us. So you have to make a distinction between these, otherwise you end up in total confusion. And that is why people take things in the Old Testament. For example, there are people today who want to observe the Passover, right. who want to observe um, the, the tabernacle, uh, the the. Um, the feast of booths. feast, yeah, and and all, they still do it. Jewish um, Christians, Christians in America, I've been to one or two of the Jewish well, one church, for example, and they're trying to bring back all of these things into the New Testament church. And quite frankly, the Jews are always enamored with ritualism, and that's the whole whole world. Uh, but this doesn't belong to Christianity. All of those were types and shadows. The substance has come. Our focus must be in Christ and not all of these rituals that they're now trying to bring back into the church. And if, Unless we do that, we end up in total confusion. So we will have then people going back to the Sabbath, want to go back to the Sabbath. You've got people who want to go back to the Passover, want to go back to the unleavened bread, want to go back to the Hanukkah and go back to this and the next. Those are things that were relevant to the Jews under the Old Testament economy. But it is very clear that the Old Covenant has been done away with. It, read uh, Corinthians chapter 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 talks about the old covenant done away and the new covenant is now in place. So unless you understand uh, properly the, the role of the different covenants, you end up in total confusion in that regard. Now take the two uh, scriptures that the lady mentioned. Um, one of them was... Um, Second Chronicles 7.14? Yeah, yeah. If you just look at that for just a minute, Nathan. Um, yeah, Second Chronicles 7.14 says... my people... If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their lives. That is so true today. 
If you really want revival today, the principles are there. That doesn't change. We are, we are God's people, and the same way God spoke to the Old Testament people, says, if you really want revival, if you really want transformation, this is what is required of you. Uh, clearly, if we do the same things that are done there, God has promised to bring about renewal and revival. So that is a transformative verse that has uh, timeless relevance to the believer, no matter what he is. The other one that's mentioned is Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Read that. Jeremiah 29 and verse 11 reads as follows, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Yeah, again, it cannot be that even in the Old Testament, God would have uh, more uh, gracious thoughts to the Old Testament people than his New Testament people. He still has thoughts of peace for us. He still, as a matter of fact, the whole of the New Testament has to be God offering this peace. So the, the idea there that God's, God's concept of how God looks at the believer, what he wants for us, that hasn't changed. He still wants us to live a life of peace, a life of hope. So the, the principle there can be transferred and applied to the believer. So I don't see, um, because it was said to Israel, it has no relevance to us. No, all scripture is given by mm-hmm. and is profitable for doctrine, for teaching, for instruction. And I, I, I draw comfort from that, to knowing that under the Old Testament economy, even though God's people had gone away from him, yet his thoughts towards them was always for them to have peace and rest, not to be uh, away from him living in, in, in uh, rebellion, etc., etc., that gives you the heart of God towards his people. And believe you me, his heart is the same way towards his people today as it was back then. Uh, and, and don't forget that he loved us so much, he, he sent his son to die for us, Amen. which is the church, yeah. right? Uh, so I just want to make that very, very clear. I think it's a... But I, I might understand what the lady is trying to say. There are some believers that uh, just take a verse of Scripture without yeah. understanding the context. Also, without understanding whether or not it's a ceremonial principle or civic principle or whatever, and how that applies. So I know it can be abused. But to say it has no relevance, ah, man, that's a complete misunderstanding of the proper use of Scripture. A follow-up comment from this listener who sent in the question. By the way, thank you for sending in your question. She says, this individual that I've been talking with says she hates the King James Version Bible because it confuses you. So she uses other translations like the Amplified Version and other versions. She also said that scripture, that the scripture about he will restore that what the palmer worm and canker worm had eaten was referring to the Jews and not us. Yeah, a few comments on that. Number one, uh, that language is shocking. If she really says she hates the King James Version, there's something wrong with her. There's no question about that. No, she said, I, um, I, 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 don't, um, I, I don't fully understand the King James Version or it's a problem, but to, to take a book that's been used for 400 years to shape Christianity and shape the English language, by the way, in itself, and then to say, I hate it, uh-uh, she, there's something wrong with that person's spirit you to say that. That kind of a version for the, the King James Version, there's something definitely wrong there. Um, uh, the, the thing I would also say here is that um, I have no problem in a person wanting to get a uh, better understanding of the what the Bible says, because the King James sometimes, I must admit, have words that need to change. They don't mean the same thing that they meant back then. And that is why there's always a need to upgrade. the tra- Any translation needs to be upgraded because the English language changes. It's, it's, you can't have, in 400 years, 
our language has changed tremendously. Yeah. The, the the method of the syntax, the the, the way in which you order, if you want to, you know, all that has changed. We, we like the King James for its beauty. We like it for its nuance, its cadence, its um, its rhythm, its simplicity. But in truth and fact, there are some some parts of it that sometimes if you don't know what it is saying you almost need to go and find a, a Bible dictionary or something to find out what it is saying. On the other hand, if you took up a modern version uh, it is very direct, very literal and that word that, that um, you don't understand is often clarified. Let me use one or two examples for just a moment, Nathan. Look at First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse uh, eight, 13 to 18. First Thessalonians 4 13 to 18 says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will will God bring with him. Verse 15, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent Stop them. There. The word prevent. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we know what that means. To prevent means to stop. Okay. That's not what the word means. The word really means precede. Okay. See? Now, anybody reading that, that is total confusion, right? But uh, what is saying basically that, you know, we would be raised after they were raised first and after, so we, you know, so we're not going to precede them. But again, reading that, we we going to prevent them. How are you going to prevent them, right? So that is a word that needs to change. Now, the word "prevent" in 1611 meant exactly that: precede. But language has changed, right? It's like today, good is bad, and bad is good. And so you ought to be careful how a person is using that word, because mm-hmm. sometimes he doesn't mean what that word literally means. The, 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 the whole, the, uh, the dialect has changed, etc. Let me use another example. Look at Second Thessalonians 2, 3 to 7. Second Thessalonians 3, two. Yeah, chapter 2, verse 3 to 7. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Whoso oppresseth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Verse 5, Remember ye not that when I was with ye yet, you, I told you these things, and now ye know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in this time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he... Stop there. Let it will let. No, let means to allow. Okay. Right? But you know what that word means? He that restraineth would restrain. So the word has meant something. It's, it's in the same word that he that withholdeth. Same word is used there. But again, uh, so one, it is saying the Holy Spirit is restraining until the man of sin is revealed. So the, the Holy Spirit is restraining until that time for him to be revealed. But let means I'm allowing it. <laughs> See, yeah. complete different meaning. That's why uh, it is important uh, to, to, to sometimes take a modern version 
in parallel with the King James Version, if you're a lover of the King James Version, and by the way, there's no better book to memorize from the King James Version, no question about that, but there are, there need, there are things that need to change, uh, verses that, uh, words that need to be changed, etc., etc. And Of course, when you say that now, people who believe that the only Bible in the words of the King James Version is inspired, you create a war with that. But again, those people need to understand that when the Bible was written in the original language, the Greek language, the Koine Greek, it was the the, the, the dialect of the man in the street. It was not the classical Greek. As a matter of fact, they thought when they first discovered it, it was sometimes some Holy Spirit language until they began to discover in the invoices and the letters that were written by people. They began to realize the same language that you find in common letters was now founded. So they realized that this is the language of the man in the street. So that is why they need to... People talk about the King James, it's beautiful. It's, 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 the, it's, the, it's the epitome of what English language should be. But that is for the scholars. That's for the, the person. You want it in the language the ordinary man can understand. He doesn't have to run to a dictionary every time and go to a concordance every time. That's the importance of having a modern translation. And uh, I know that there's some concern that there's some bad tra- modern... Tra- I agree with that. But doesn't absolve the fact that we need to have good update translations to clarify these kind of verses, etc. And I will say this, Nathan, especially in the Old Testament. If you read in the Old Testament, like yeah. Isaiah, uh, you read Isaiah in the King James and then read it in the modern literal version. And it's like light and darkness sometimes because some of those words are lose you. You don't even know exactly what they mean, etc., etc. Uh, so I, I do agree that um, there are times when you should have a... I have about... Oh, maybe four different uh, modern versions uh, in the Bible. I have parallel versions as well. And there are times when I have a passage I, I, I can't fully understand. Uh, sometimes rather than go to the concordance, I would quickly go to one of the modern translations to see. Now, she mentioned in this book that the lady uses the amplified version. I do have the amplified version as well, and it's very, very helpful uh, as well. So... Um, to, to say that the King James, she hates the King James, there's something spiritually wrong with anybody who says that. That, that cannot be a, a true spiritual person. A book that God has used for 400 years to not only enlighten the church, but also to create the greatest forms of, of English language, to say that you hate it. Uh, there's something spiritually wrong there. Um, so I don't know the person. But um, I do think that their aversion towards the King James, if it is that to the point of hate, uh, there's a spiritual problem there, no question about it. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We're broadcasting from the island of Antigua on 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, online at radiolighthouse.org. You can also join us. On Facebook, go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, click on the Facebook Live video feed, and then you can listen to the program, watch the program behind the scenes, and comment in the comment section there on the Facebook Live video feed. And those comments, your questions, will get passed along to Pastor Murphy. We have a number of questions that have come in, but we are still looking for your questions. If you have one, go ahead and send it in. You can WhatsApp or text it to one two six eight. 7821454 again whatsapp or text 2687821454 if you'd like to speak live on the air phone line is open and available awaiting your call you call 1268467420 we have another question that has come in this one is in relation to a WhatsApp video that was sent uh, 
the listener says, Pastor, what do you have to say about what this man is saying? And I'm going to play the audio from the video in just a second here as I get it pulled up. But this is from a TikTok user called World Watch Media, and he <coughs> defines or which defines itself as strange events happening around the world. Watchers are watching. And again, this is not one of our new programs we're going to be adding to the Lighthouse. This is just audio from a video clip that has been sent in, a listener wanting Pastor Murphy's thoughts on it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who were they? Matthew who? Mark who? Luke who? And John who? What were their last names? When did they write? Did they know Jesus Christ? Did they walk with Jesus Christ? Did they eat with Jesus Christ? Did they talk with Jesus Christ? Did they even meet Jesus Christ? The answer is no, 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 no. Conclusively. The earliest of them that wrote, wrote 40 years after Jesus Christ. So they never met him. The last of them wrote 80 years after Jesus Christ. Never met him. The other thing is, all of them seem to have written the gospel according to, according to, according to, according to. Now, when you write a letter, do you sign it according to? Where in the world is a document with only one name of four different writers that did not meet the one whom they're writing about? Where is that accepted in the whole world? Nowhere except in the Bible. Because a writer would not write his only, his first name according to. And there's a great amount of suspicion that the man called Paul, Saul of Tarsus, that because he wrote all the books from Acts all the way to the end of the New Testament, how many books is that? How many? 16, 15, 17, 19? All the books of Acts on Colossians, Ephesians, Corinthians, Romans, Galatians, all of those books are written by whom? Paul, Saul of Tarsus, another man who never walked, who never talked, who never met, who never ate, who never prayed, who never knew Jesus Christ. Isn't that something? Now here we find four writers and another one between them that wrote all the New Testament books that never talked, never walked, never ate, never prayed, never met the man called Jesus Christ. And Paul, by the way, before he had that vision on the road to Damascus that only he saw and only he heard, guess what his occupation was? Do you know? He was a bounty hunter, a hunter of Christians hunting them down like animals, binding them and bringing them to where? To Rome so that they could be executed. Now if Hitler, after killing thousands of Jews, said that on the road to Berlin, he had a vision that he was named an apostle to the Jews and he wrote 20 books that all the Jews are supposed to follow. Do you think they would be following that book? 
So that's three minutes of the audio. Thank you to the individual who sent in this uh, question. And you may be chuckling, you may be listening, you may have gotten drawn in by it. But the reason that I played that audio is there is so much out there in the world today that anyone can really have a worldwide platform by posting things on like TikTok or Facebook. Pastor, what are your thoughts in relation to this? Well, number one, there are so many factual errors that the guy has made that he's clearly a unlearned, unstudied, and a very ignorant person when it comes to Scripture. There's no question about that. He has a good voice. He sounds good. sounds charismatic. And that may be the attraction of what he has. But quite frankly, um, too many falsehoods that he's mentioned. That, um, and I don't know if it's deliberate or intentional, just the fact that the guy is a very ignorant person, uh, and he's trying to discredit the Bible. But let me, let me mention some of these, for example. He said that the earliest... Um, book uh, was written uh, 40 years after Christ, which would mean that the first gospel would be written. Uh, Christ died at 33, 33, 33 AD, and then you add 40 that, that it would be 73. 73. That's so false. I mean, anybody who is aware with current uh, biblical teaching and knowledge would could actually check that up for themselves. Matthew was written between 52 and 56 Okay, AD. That means that it was 19 to 24 years after Christ died. Right? Now, I see what he's arguing. He's arguing that because it was written 40 years, the people could not be alive. See, so if Christ died at 33, there would have to be like 80. That's his. So it doesn't. But again, we know that John lived to after 90. Yeah. So, and it's possible, right? So the argument, the, uh, Mark, for example, was written between 50 and 55. That's 17 to 23 years after Christ had died. Luke um, was written 23 to 27 years after, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not true what he's saying. Uh, he clearly does his facts wrong. And I don't know where he's getting his facts from, but clearly he's not. A person was informed in these matters. He also said that um, the four writers of the gospel and Paul wrote all the New Testament. I mean, a little child can tell him that's not true. For example, we know that John wrote uh, four books. We know that Jude wrote one book. We know that Peter wrote two books, etc. And we know that James wrote one. We know that Paul only wrote 12 and it's possibly 13 if you include the book of Hebrews. So when you had this factual data, people who are not aware of what he's saying, but a man can be that ignorant and that wrong and uh, be believable. The other thing is that um, he said that none of these gospel writers new walk, talk with, with Christ. That's false. I mean, it's so patently false uh, that it is incredible. Uh, and by the way, do you notice that he seemed to be certain that Paul was converted in the road to Damascus and uh, what he was? Where did he find that? In the Bible. In the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's so It is so comical. It's only when you sit down and analyze these, these, uh, these uh, quacks that you have on, on the radio that you begin to realize um, and then, he, of course, he uses Paul as an example. He said that Paul never saw the Lord, never heard the Lord. Well, that's not true because Paul saw and heard the Lord in the road to Damascus, right? That's how Paul got to know that Jesus Christ was actually Lord. We know that Paul uh, persecuted the church, intended to destroy the church. We know he's quite right to say that um, he was a, a bounty hunter looking for the heads of believers, no question. But then he said he took them to, to Rome. It's <laughs> <Okay>. to <laughs> so Jerusalem, comical. right? It's to Jerusalem, because it is Rome that killed Paul himself, right? So the man clearly has skewed facts, 
and uh, he's spewing a lot of falsehood. But as you rightfully said, to have an international platform like this, a global platform where this can be going all over the world, people can pick this up. People who are not informed can pick this up and listen to it and really believe it. Yeah. See? That's the danger of having an open forum like uh, the uh, media that is available to us today. But it's a sad <laughs> fact that that is uh, what has happened. Um, I just think that this guy is clearly anti-scriptural, anti-Jesus, anti-Christianity. And uh, I think that he is using the global platform to, to, to um, present a case against Christianity. But all he has done, quite frankly, is the, the very opposite. Uh, those who are informed, those who are educated, those who understand this will know that what the guy is saying is patently false and is contrary uh, to the factual history. Let me mention something else. He asked the question, Nathan, it's so comical. When you write a letter, do you put a letter according to, to, to Nathan? <laughs> so he's taking a, we're living in 2,000 years after the text was written. And by the way, the format in which the gospel was written is the same format that was common back in those days when you write a letter. Right. The other thing is that the title to those books, according to John, were not, uh, in the manuscript, just what the translators put to give people the beginning of the book. Yeah. So the guy has no understanding of bibliography. Um, he, he, he has no background in terms of Bible, New Testament uh, survey or introduction to the Bible. Uh, I don't know where he's getting his knowledge from. Uh, but clearly, when, I, when, when you hear those kind of things, you can't help but, but uh, be bemused. Be by uh, a guy that would make those kind of statements. So I find him to be irrational, illogical, untruthful, and verily careless in his facts, and in a very real sense, biblically ignorant. And uh, he really doesn't know uh, what, he, what he's talking about. He referenced the fact that Paul was the only one that saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, and how he was trying to use that as uh, a this sudden change in Paul's life as a big reason that Paul couldn't have really been there. But that in itself is an amazing transformation. How do you go from being the top yeah. bounty hunter, as he said, yeah. to being willing to die for the gospel? Yeah. That is That was something I, I, I partly know they had. He can't understand what transformation is. Yeah. He doesn't understand what regeneration is. To us, that is a classic example of the transforming power of Christ in a man's life, that a man is one moment persecuting the church and he's soundly converted and now he becomes the chief proponent of the gospel. That is transforming. That's what the gospel is all about. Right. And he is finding it difficult to believe that something like that could happen. I'll tell you why. Because he, hasn't, he himself does not know what the transforming power of Christ can do in a person's life. So he can't fathom that such a thing can happen, such a change could happen. He is limited in his understanding and clearly he's not a believer and um, he doesn't understand what true Christianity is about and the transforming work of Christ in the life of a person. What would you say to the listener who says, you know, Pastor, I find myself in that category. I have never had that kind of transformation in my life. How do I experience that? How do I have that? What well, does the Bible say? Well, Jesus said, I come that they may have life and have life abundantly. And he made it very clear that as he lived by the Father, you've got to live by me. And that's why the Bible tells us that we have to repent of our sins and put our faith in trust. That's where the relationship begins. We turn away from our sins. We're willing to. And, and I must stress this, Nathan. Nobody can be saved 
unless they're willing to repent of their sins. And to repent of the sin means that they're asking forgiveness, but you're also willing to turn from that sin. You cannot ask God to forgive you for that sin, and your intention is, tomorrow I'll go back and do the same. That's mm-hmm. not repentance. So there has to be a brokenness over your condition. And that's where I would add to this, Nathan, that when a person um, begins to feel uneasy on the inside. They, in other words, when God begins to work in a person, He unsettles them. Uh, they would start thinking about hell, death. They start thinking about their own spirit, their own life. They will begin to see themselves in great need. They begin to see themselves, let me put it as a chief sinner, right? That's when you know that God is working in your life, that you want he begins to do, and then when, when he does that, you come to the point where you're searching and seeking. And when God sees you searching, if you seek me with your heart, he said, you're going to find me. So he brings you along gradually until you will hear the word or somebody will witness to you or give you the word. Or you'll be watching a television program that you didn't intend to hear. Or you'll pass the street and somebody will be preaching. Now, he doesn't know what he's saying that relates to you. But that is part of the miracle of conversion. But it needs to be repentance and the need to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Nobody is saved without repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And they must precede that level of conviction about your need for trusting Christ and getting your sins forgiven. If you would like to have a discussion one-on-one with someone, more detail and ask questions and have them answered from the scripture, feel free to give us a call here at the Lighthouse during business hours or even this evening, and we would be glad to have one of our team members talk with you. You can call 268-462-1454. If you have a question, you can call and ask it live on the air by calling 268-462-7420. If you want to WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to 268-782-1454. We have a question that has come in from Trinidad and Tobago. Let me just mention on this Tuesday evening, the time across the Eastern Caribbean is 814 a uh, question coming from the Southern Caribbean. Good night. I have a question for That's Truth. What is the Bible's take on wearing guards? By wearing guards, I refer to tokens that are given to individuals to wear for protection. For example, in the spiritual Baptist faith, some individuals are given guards with different colors to wear for protecting. Also, in the Muslim faith, the same is observed. This baffles me in the sense that why does one need a guard when God is omnipresent and is our rock in salvation and deliverer? Why trust in a guard and not in God Almighty? To me, wearing a guard defeats an individual faith, individual's faith and confidence in God Almighty. In the past, I was guilty of observing this <laughs> practice, but since I would, since I was unlearned, but now I know better. I know that it's in contrast to what God expects for me. What is your input? Much appreciated. Well, I agree with you, um, caller, uh, person who sent in the information. Uh, there's no reference in the Bible that you need any kind of a guard or a talisman or some kind of an amulet that you put around your neck or something like that. You know, some people wear a cross. Right. Uh, some people wear a little rosary, etc., uh, etc. Et the Mormons wear a special underwear, you know. Uh, all of this is nonsense, pure, pure nonsense. Jesus said, and lo, I am with you always unto the end of the earth. Okay? Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
we don't need any form of protection, uh, any kind of um, guard or amulet. Or, we don't need that. That is uh, paraphernalia that belongs to the occult. Um, when the occult wants you to um, something called transference. When you go to obey a man, you go to some person who's involved in witchcraft, don't be surprised that they give you something to wear. And normally there is a, um, a spiritual attachment to that. And when you wear it, it is transferred to you. You're going to be very, very... Spiritual Baptist, by the way, I don't give any credence to the spiritual Baptist. The, the, their teaching is, is false. Their practice is false, etc., etc. Uh, I was introduced to that when I was in St. Vincent Pastoring. Uh, they got something called the morning ground and this and the next thing, etc. There's also a big movement of that in Barbados with Granville. I don't even know if he's still alive. I've listened to him on the radio. I don't know why anybody listens to a person like that. Has nothing to say, quite frankly. Just repeats himself, etc. Uh, we're in a crazy world where people are moving away from Christianity and trying to find something as a substitute. And the problem with the spiritual Baptists uh, as well is a meshing between Christianity and, um, and African religion. Uh, you got the same thing happening in Haiti with the voodoo. You got the same thing happening in South America. There's a name, the thing they call it Saturn or something like that. Okay. Right? But all it's a mixture of Catholicism with um, African religions. That's what's happening. And in the Caribbean, because most people are of black origin, the tendency today is moving away from uh, Christianity, which is perceived to be associated with colonialism and, and um, the Europeans. And that is leading them people astray and astray and astray away from biblical truth and that's why uh, uh, American uh, sorry um, black Christians need to speak out more than they ever spoken before they need to also be not only they need to be the writers of dealing with a lot of these issues so that they, they can understand that it's not coming from a, a white perspective it's coming from a black perspective because people's mind are being prejudiced and we have to stand for the truth is respective Christianity is not about color it's not about nationality. Christianity is about truth. Amen. And it applies across the board. But don't get wrapped up in, in uh, you know, nationalism and, uh, and all these kind of things. Uh, we are Christians first. And uh, I'm a Christian first before I'm a Barbadian, even though I was born in Barbados. But my Christian f- faith means more to me than being a Barbadian. I will tell you that. It doesn't matter to me, quite frankly. What matters to me is Christ. He's the preeminent one, and it should be that with us as believers. He is who we serve. He is who we live for. And he is the one that we're looking forward to bring, uh, to returning for us to take us to be with him. Let us take a stand for the truth and don't be uh, influenced by these uh, external forces that try to... Um, create a, a divide between Christianity and and uh, race, race, etc. Thank you for your interaction so far on the program. Thank you for sending in your questions. If you want to call and ask your question live on the air, you can do so by calling 268-462-7420. If you would like to WhatsApp or text your question, send it to 268 782 one four five four. It's been a little while since I said this, but we want this program to be as practical on an ongoing basis as possible. And the best way to do that is to discuss topics that you are concerned about, topics that your family is talking about around the dinner table, topics that your coworkers are asking you about in the workplace. Maybe it's not a topic that you are struggling with, but if you have a topic that you would think be, would be beneficial or a suggestion, please, please, please let us know. We would be very grateful, and it will be prayerfully considered. 
and then in God's timing, as he leads, it will be discussed on the Radio Lighthouse here in That's Truth. If you have a question and you're thinking, I've got this question, but I'm a little embarrassed to ask it. I don't want it tied back to me or even to my island that I'm on. I don't want anyone to know that I'm the one that threw it out there. I know people think I should know better. If you have a question, there are other people out there most likely who have a similar question. And at the very least, if you have a question and no one else has the that question right now, as Pastor answers it using Scripture and scriptural principles, it allows the rest of us to be better prepared and refreshed in how to answer that question when later this week someone in the grocery store at the gas station asks us the same question. So you can WhatsApp or text your question to 268 782 1454. Another question coming from the Caribbean. What does KJV onlyism mean? Is the King James Version inerrant? Yeah, well, that, that is, in my judgment, um, a heresy. That's why I feel very strongly about it. The King James Version only um, movement is a movement that believes that the only Bible that you should use and read and study is the King James Version. And that's the only inspired Bible for the, uh, the English-speaking world. Uh, of course, that's quite ludicrous. Uh, but that is what it has divided the church in the Caribbean. Uh, Around it, the world. It, it, it's divided St. Lucia. It's divided um, part of St. Vincent. It's divided um, Grenada. It's, it's divided... Uh, uh, I can't think of a... I mean, it has really been a very divisive doctrine. It, in America, it's really divided the church in America. Uh, if you... They're, they're, these people believe, by the way, the only way you can be saved is but totally, totally ignorant. That's what I, I considered it to be. Um, I understand the concerns of people who stick to the King George. There, there, there are a lot of virgins that are coming out that are distortions. They're paraphrases. They're not literal, etc. Et I understand that. No question about that. Um, but to hold to the position that only the King James Version of the Bible is the inspired uh, Bible. And by the way, the, the version that we have, the 1611 version, it has gone through so many revisions. If I were to come here uh, next time and give you the 1611 read from the 1611 uh, King James, you, you wouldn't even understand it, to be honest with you. So it's, it's not the yeah. same same thing. It, I was going to say you might be doing good to read from it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like reading Shakespeare. You ever yeah. did Chaucer? You ever did... Uh, even when I did uh, Shakespeare, I couldn't understand some of the things he was saying, and that's why they had a they had a, a key on the left hand side to tell you what this word meant, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, and but that's what the King James Version only movement is. It's a movement that believes that you should not read, study, uh, or engage with any other Bible than the King James Version. And quite frankly, if you do so, someone would even tell you you're sinning and nobody can get saved apart from the King James. It, it's the most ridiculous teaching and uh, it can't be supported, uh, quite frankly. Uh, you go back even from Spurgeon. Uh, you read uh, the times when Spurgeon is preaching and he goes to the Revised Version to explain what the ver- word means, etc., to make it clarif- clarified. So uh, any man that would tell me that Spurgeon is a false prophet or surgeon is uh, a, 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 not a man of God, uh, that person got to be blamed in himself. I mean, the greatest preacher the English world has known, 
uh, and, uh, man of God. As a matter of fact, Spurgeon died very early because of his stand for the truth. And um, he, he was so disappointed by the betrayal. Uh, it's believed that he died an early death because of that. He was so depressed. You're listening to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, broadcasting from Antigua on 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, and online at radiolighthouse.org. We have a question that has come in from Antigua. Good evening. Romans 3, 25 and 26. Is this saying that all sins before Christ was laid on the cross? And does this tie in with Ephesians 4, 8 through 11? And let me read these verses for you. Romans 3, 25 and 26. Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believed in Jesus. And Ephesians 4, 8-10 through 10 says, Wherefore he saith, When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it? but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. Well, I don't see the uh, the, the relationship of Ephesians 4 to Romans 3. That's the first thing. But I would agree with the person that um, the sins of humankind was covered, but they weren't cleansed. Uh, I use the example that, you know, that like you've got dirt in your house and you want to get rid of the dirt, you sweep it under the carpet. But it is hidden. You can't see it. Uh, and that is exactly what happened with, with human sin. It's obviously that the book of Hebrews tells us, for example, that it's obvious that animals, a- animal sacrifice and the blood of animals could not take away sin. That's obvious, right? And uh, all of those were types of Christ to come. So God, as it were, kept all of human sin in a suspense account, an escort account, with the idea that ultimately when Christ died, they'll just be wiped out completely. Okay. That's what it is teaching there. Sins pass. So in actual fact, even though God covered human sin, human sin was never totally dealt with until Christ's death on the cross. So that's, okay. what, that, that's, the, that's the teaching. Thank you to the individual who sent in that question. A question from another listener. Pastor, earlier in the program, you were talking about the first covenant and the second covenant. Mm-hmm. Who is the recipient or who were each of these covenants directed to? Well, it is very clear that both of those covenants were directed, first of all, to Israel. Okay. There's no question about that. But again, when you go into the book of uh, Corinthians chapter 2, and then um, you go into the Hebrews, and then you go into Galatians, Paul explains that the church are now under the new covenant. So while it was originally intended for Israel, Israel rejected the Messiah. Then God grafted us into the new covenant. So we are part of the new covenant. Now, the, 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 old, the new covenant is going to be ultimately fulfilled for Israel She's only partially fulfilled, but it's eventually, eventually be fulfilled to Israel because all the promises that were made in respect to the, the new covenant in Israel were never fulfilled in the case of Israel. So God is not finished with Israel. But the 
The suspension of Israel in God's dealing has created the opportunity for the Gentiles to be grafted under the new covenant. And that's when, you remember Jesus did the communion? When he was doing it, this is the new covenant of my blood. Right. We're yes. part of that, see? Mm-hmm. see? So uh, it was intended for Israel. It was promised to Israel. Remember, there was no church when the promise was made in the book of J- Jeremiah. And, but it was very clear in God's plan eventually that we knew, he knew that Israel would one day uh, be, be suspended, as it were, and the church would be grafted in. It's all part of it. He knows everything. So the church shares in the new covenant. Thank you very much for sending in your questions. If you have a question, you can call and ask it live on the air. 1-268-462-7420. We'll put you live on the air. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, send it to 1-268-782-1454. As we await your questions, we're going to jump back into some material that Pastor was discussing. Actually, he's been discussing biblical separation for maybe months now, uh, off and on. But last week, he was wrapping up, or he was talking about the topic of biblical apostasy. Pastor, for the listener who just tuned in tonight, give us a real quick summary of what is biblical apostasy, and then we're going to jump into some examples. Well, we're talking about the fact that both in Paul's writings in uh, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, and also in Thessalonians, he makes it very clear that before the Antichrist comes on the scene, before the final phase, there will be a great falling away. So we are going to encounter believers and churches moving away from the faith, moving away from the faith. Now, it started in the New Testament, but it's pointed towards the end time. Paul said men will become full of doctrines of demons, etc., etc. So the falling away has to do with the fifth column within the church. Those people who were part of the church turned away from believing the Bible, turned away from believing in Christ, etc., etc., but yet remain in the church. And their whole purpose is to undermine the church. Now, there are those who went away from the church and went, left the church. That's not my concern. My concern are those who remain in the church, who no longer believe the fundamental doctrines of the Bible, which are the non-negotiable doctrines, but yet remain as pastors, as leaders in the church. And the people themselves sometimes are not aware that these people are using biblical language but have different content. They play a semantic game with people, so they talk about God, they talk about atonement, they talk about um, um, Christ, but they don't believe in the Christ of the Bible, they don't believe in the virgin birth, they don't believe in the resurrection, etc., etc. And that's the problem. And these people have not only taken over the major denominations, they have taken over the, all of the major seminaries that train people for the ministry. So they infiltrate the seminaries. They train p- people in their false doctrine. Those same people now are farmed out to the different churches. And before you know it, uh, the church is no longer the church. It's become a social club where we just meet and sing songs and they say words, but the words have no real meaningful content. And they're not the same biblical meaning that the Bible gives to them. I don't know why anybody would want to remain in a church like that. But that's the common situation we have today. So the Anglican church, the majority of people in the Anglican uh, leaders are modernists. They don't believe in miracles. They don't believe in creation. They believe in evolution. They don't believe in the virgin birth. They don't believe in the resurrection. The majority of the leaders. The same thing with the Episcopalian church. The same thing with the United Methodist church. 
and the same thing with one of the branches of the Lutheran Church. And they're also within certain Baptist circles the same thing. So it's not just these um, denominations, including Baptist denominations as well. But that's the reality that we are in. And then you've got the emerging church today, which is another modern movement. Is that, that like a different denomination? Well, it, it is not. They have, don't call it a denomination, but they don't. They twist scripture. They don't accept the authority of the scripture. Uh, it is more trying to culturize the Bible and, mm-hmm. and trying to adopt the Bible to the culture. And it's very, very popular because they're not taking stands that you, you would take about morality against morality and so on and so forth. It's shocking what is happening today. So we, remember that the Bible predicts at the end time, not that there will be a diminishing of religion, you know. There will be an increase of religion. There will be, be an increase in what is called spirituality, right? But spirituality is not Christianity, see? And everybody said, if you read the New Age, everything is something spiritual. You listen to opera. She talks about spirituality. You listen yeah. to all of the Everything is spiritual. But it's not biblical Christianity. It's not about redemption. It's not about atonement. It is about having this, uh, this um, higher consciousness, higher consciousness yeah. about the universe and uh, the unity of hu- humankind and stuff like that. Uh, it is all part of the final phase of apostasy that the Bible talks about, and we are there. It's not going to get any better. It's just going to get worse. And by the way, when you go away from biblical truth in terms of doctrine, what happens? Morality goes down the drain. So you find that all of these major denominations that have moved away from biblical truth, all of them now are advocating for transgender, homosexuality. As a matter of fact, I will assure you as well, they're even advocating that we should not bother people about uh, fornication and, and stuff like that. I'll give you quotes that will shock you that leaders in these churches are saying, and you would say, but why would I want to remain in a church like that? That's no longer a church. That's a social club. And that's what I mean by apostasy. But a lot of our people are not aware of what is happening. Uh, and I, don't, I would tell you this, Nathan, it comes a time when people need to be informed about a church, and they need to move out of that church and find a church where the Word of God is preached and believed, and the people love the Lord and serve the Lord, etc. There are time you have to move out of that, and that's why I, I think this matter of apostasy is so important in bringing it to the attention of the public. You referenced the biblical teaching that there'll be a falling away. Are the individuals who are a part of this falling away born-again believers? No, that's my point. Okay. My point is that these are people that are just not safe people. Just religious. Just religious people, see. And, um, and I, I don't know why they would stay in the church. Why would you, if you, if you no longer believe in Christ, you no longer believe in resurrection, you don't believe in, you don't believe in creation, why would you be in the church if you don't even believe in creation? What's the point? You don't believe in a God who's, who's powerful enough to create. Right? You've got a position. <laughs> and by the way, everything tells you that what is could not have happened without a designer yeah. and without an all-powerful being. Everything tells you that. The very mic I got before me, Nathan, there's no man on planet Earth could tell me that just happened. Right. Okay? Now, this mic is not even one-tenth as complex as my cell in my body. Yeah. So, so there is a, what I call, we're living in a schizophrenic age. A real schizophrenia, where people are somehow able to hold opposites and, and don't see the disparity is so, you, you've got to make a choice. They're somehow able to, uh, I, I, I can't explain it. It can't be true 
and false at the same time. But somehow, and here's the problem, they no longer believe in absolutes. See, so everything is in a free fall. Everything is relative. That's where you go, you come, when you reach the point of where you've gone away from biblical truth. There are no transcendent norms any longer. So all that is left is my opinion and your opinion. And of course, when that happens, we all become little gods to ourselves. We make our own decisions. So today you'll find people say, you shouldn't tell that guy he's wrong. Well, if the Bible says he's wrong, he's wrong. Yeah. Right? That is where we are. Uh, and we're in a, a kind of a wishy-washy situation. And sadly to say, there are Christians who have no character and not prepared to take a stand for anything because they don't want to offend anybody. You're listening to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. You have a question? You can WhatsApp or text it to 268-782-1454. Last week, you were, as we ran out of time, you were referencing some examples and some quotes from the Anglican Church. I want to pick up there, Nathan, because I I mentioned uh, Robert Runcie, who was the Archbishop of Canterbury, and some statements he made in 1982. I also made a reference to um, another Archbishop, George Carey, in 2001, some of his ridiculous statements that he made. But this uh, started much earlier than these two men, because in 1953, the Archbishop of Canterbury was, uh, Canterbury was William Temple. And in his book, he wrote a book called Nature and God, And this is what he wrote. There is no such thing as revealed truth. Can you believe the Archbishop of the Anglican Church in 1953 is saying in his own book that he wrote, there is no such thing as revealed truth. So the Bible is not revealed truth. So what's the point of being the Archbishop of a church? Yeah. Right? So that is shocking to me. How could you be the head of the Anglican Church, make a ridiculous statement like this an apostate and yet you are not defrocked and removed from your position see um, Michael Ramsey in 1962 which is another Archbishop of Canterbury this is what he said he said this in the London uh, Daily Mail in October 2 1961 heaven is not a place for Christians only I expect to see many present there atheists there <laughs> I mean if I was in a church like that, I'd be gone the next day, right? But again, think about that for just a moment. I think they're over, I forgot what, I, what the figure I gave you, how many millions of Anglicans he's supposed to be the head of, right? But here you are making this kind of a statement. So why become a Christian then if an atheist can get to heaven? What's the point of having Christianity? What's the point of evangelizing? What's the point of doing missionary work? Yeah. If your leader believes that, What's the point of having a church, period, right? If Ace is going to get there who don't believe in God, and the man that believes in God is going to get there as well, what's the difference? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we shall die. Enjoy yourself. See, That is where I talk about the apostasy in these major denominations. If I was a member of the Anglican Church, and I, would, I knew that these leaders of my church made these kind of statements, I would be out of those churches immediately. Right? I would have my church either withdraw and become an independent church, or I would leave the denomination. But I could not stay in a denomination where my leader doesn't believe in the Bible, there's anything as revealed truth, and he also believes that Christians are not the only ones getting to heaven, that atheists are going to get there as well. See? It is difficult to understand where, why people do not understand there's a need to separate. The Bible tells you to come out from among them. 
come out, don't stay, come out from among them. Uh, Bishop uh, James Pike, an Anglican as well, uh, he called the virgin birth, for example, in 1961, a primitive myth and said that Joseph was probably jo- Jesus' real father. That is found in the Red Book magazine, August 1961. See, He also said that Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden and, hell, and, and heaven and hell were myths. See, uh, In 1968, at the Lambert Conference, um, the, the Anglican voted that no longer was it required that the their clergymen hold to the 39 Articles of Faith that was standard for the Anglican. So you can now be a priest and a leader in the Anglican Church and you don't have to hold to their Articles of Faith. I mean, that is, how, how do you, how do you, it's like I, I say you can come and join Grace Baptist Church, but you don't have to uh, accept the, the, uh, the, the, the doctrinal statement. Or you're like a social, relaxed social club at that point. Exactly what it is. And then in 1980, uh, Bishop Desmond Tutu of South Africa in the Cape Times, October 24, 1980, said, It may be that Jesus Christ was the illegitimate son of Mary. Wow. I mean, this is a bishop uh, in Cape Town. In 1978, at St. Albans Cathedral in Pretoria, South Africa, November 23, 1978, uh, he said that the Holy Spirit shined through Mahatma Gandhi, a Hindu. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. How, how, how do we... Now, it is difficult for me to comprehend uh, when a bishop would make a statement like this, how he is still part of the Anglican faith. It is shocking. Very, very, very shocking. Um, you were referencing earlier the number of how many millions. There's Google says there's estimated 85 million Anglicans. Globally. Globally. globally right? I think the, the figure in England is about uh, 10 million, but only one-third of those go to church. There's only about 2 million that go to church in England, despite the fact it's such a global thing. There are more, more Anglicans outside England okay. than there are in England. But the head is the Archbishop of Canterbury, see? Yeah. And uh, the, it, is, it is difficult to, to comprehend uh, what is really, really going on um, with these matters. Now, are you here just to bash and discourage and try and get Anglicans that are listening this evening to turn off the radio? No, I'm here to expose the apostasy that's going on that people are not aware of. And maybe if they're aware of what's been going on, they might make a decision that I can't remain in the church that doesn't believe in the virgin birth, doesn't believe in the resurrection of Christ, etc., etc. That's my purpose. My purpose is to call God's people who are true believers out of these denominations that have apostatized. That's my purpose. Whether it be the Anglican, whether it be the United Methodist Church, whether it be the Baptist, it doesn't matter. The important thing is to expose what is happening because I think there are a lot of people who are not aware of how apostate these churches have become. And therefore, they remain in it without, uh, and they are actually facilitating the apostasy, uh, even though they're doing that unawares. What is your basis, your measuring stick, your threshold of what is right and what is apostasy? Well, it's very, very clear. is the Bible itself. And there are certain cardinal doctrines that are non-negotiable. These are called the fundamentals. And the fundamental doctrines have to do with creation. Fundamental has to do with the resurrection of Christ, the virgin birth of Christ. Has to do with the blood atonement of Christ. Uh, it has to do with the belief in heaven and belief in hell. Uh, these are the non-negotiables. These are the fundamental truths of, of the Scripture. 
And uh, people who don't hold to those fundamental truths are not true Christians. They're outside the pale of genuine Christianity. They may have called themselves Christians, but they're not true Christians. That is what, and by the way, these kind of statements are statements that are not made today. Because everybody feels you've got to be tolerant. Everybody believes that, well, you don't know what the Bible teaches. Well, I know what the Bible teaches. I don't anybody tell me what the Bible teaches on these matters. But the, the whole idea is that, you know, I used to go to that church, and I was born in this church, and my mommy went to this church, my great-grandma. Well, dig up them out of the grave and move them if you want to move. If that's the problem. You're there because they're there. Dig them up, and you come out. But you can't stay in an apostate denomination that is not holding to the fundamental truths of the Scripture. That's my argument. Is it, it sin yeah. for someone to remain in an apostate denomination and try and be a light shining forth the true gospel in that denomination? Well, let me ask you a question. What's the command that is given to us? Is it to remain? To come out. To come out. So it's a question of obedience. A question of obedience. I understand. By the way, that's the problem with Luther and the others that started the Reformation. Part of the reason why the Lutheran Church and the Presbyterian Church still has some of the accretions of Catholicism, for example, they all do infant baptism, Lutheran Church, Presbyterian Church, Catholic Church, Anglican Church, all, because they did not want to come out. They were trying to transform and to change the denomination. But none of them were able to do it until finally Luther realized that this can't work. So he started the, the Lutheran Church, which became the State Church of Germany. Same thing happened in Scotland, etc., etc., with the Reformed Church. But the thing here is, Nathan, is that when an institution or a denomination reaches the point where it denies fundamental biblical truths, the only solution is to come out. It doesn't get better again. For example, you can't change the Catholic Church. Nobody can change the Catholic Church. You can show that Mary is dead, that Mary is not the Queen of Heaven, that Mary is not the co-redemptrix. You can show them that. You can show them. That, I mean, you can, you can show that Mary can't answer anybody's prayers. You can show them there's no reference to that anywhere in the Bible. It doesn't matter. You can show them that when you partake of the communion, you can't be eating the little blood of body of Jesus and the little blood because that's cannibalism. It doesn't change. That's what they were told. That's what they believe. Saying the rosary, oh, Mary, whatever it is, complete repetition that our Lord warns against in Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 6, it makes no difference. They're not studying the Word. They're not listening to the Word. They're listening to the priests, see, and what the church says as opposed to what the Bible says. So the church has gotten priority in terms of what they believe. And that's the heresy of putting the church above Scripture, And when you do that, ultimately you can be misled. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We've got about 14 minutes in this episode, left in this episode, and Pastor is talking about biblical apostasy and is sharing some examples from leaders in the Anglican Church. Let me, in, in the Sunday Sun, uh, July 31st, 1994, uh, it, it was reported in the Sun that at least 100 Anglican priests are atheists who do not believe in any supernatural God. I'm serious. An atheist? An atheist. A hundred of them are atheists. Right? And that's why I say to uh, the lady that um, sent in the message the other day that her priest is okay because he teaches them morals and how to not commit adultery. That's why he emphasizes it's not, Christianity is not morality. Yeah. As a result of becoming a believer, your moral life would be improved. 
and, and cleaned up, but it's not morality. That's why he said to her, ask him, do you believe in creation? Do you believe in the virgin birth? Do you believe in the resurrection? You know, those are the kind of questions you need to ask because he might be using the God, God language and the Christian cliches, and they might think he's referring to, but quite frankly, it's a game that is going on. But you see, he is a priest, and maybe his pension is coming up. He's dependent on his income. So he can't tell the people, I don't believe in creation anymore, I don't believe in Christ anymore, I don't believe in the atonement anymore. And the people need to know what his doctrinal position is on these matters. And that was 94 that 100 Anglican priests believe were atheists. I'll give you the exact um, exact time there again. Um, it's, this is 1994, July 31st, um, in the Sunday Sun. So surely with all times. the changes that have happened over the last 30 it's, years. It's worsened. Yeah. It has worsened. It, has, it doesn't improve. In 1996, the Doctrinal Commission of the Church of England said that it is not a place... Uh, not a place uh, of fire as far as hell is concerned. There's no fire in hell. That's, That's their commission in 1994. Okay. 96, sorry. Wow. Okay. In 1997, a, sav- a survey found that 31% of Anglican vicars in England do not believe in the virgin birth. That was in 1997. And this is found in Alliance March uh, 12, 1997. In 2003... Uh, Richard Hardy, the Anglican Bishop of Oxford, said that Christians should pray to God the Mother. That's in the Times, November 3, 2002. Where do you find that in Scripture? <laughs> it just shows you that when you begin to go away from biblical truth, you start to embrace error and error and error and error. And you, 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 it's as though God judicially blinds you that you can no longer see the truth and you become susceptible to any kind of error that comes your way. You try to fit in to become cultural. Um, and this is, a f- this is one note that is, is shocking. In September 14, 2008, the Anglican Church officially apologized to Charles Darwin for rejecting his theory of evolution. This is how I read. I want to quote directly. This is found in the Daily Mail, September 13, 2008. He said, this is what they said to Charles Darwin, 200 years from your birth, the Church of England owes you an apology for misunderstanding you and by getting our first reaction wrong and encouraging others to misunderstand you still. That is the official statement from the Anglican Church. So what they're saying is, we embrace what? Evolution. Evolution. Evolution, which is contrary to scripture. But if you embrace evolution, you have put evolution where Christ should be. He is the creator, so you no longer have a creator. You have evolution. So what God are you worshiping then? See, that's why I say no one can believe in evolution and be a genuine Christian. You have replaced Christ with evolution, and no one can read the Bible without seeing that again and again, God created, God created. And then we come to the New Testament, we learn that the, the second person of the Trinity was the one given that responsibility of creation. All things were made by Him. Things in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible. Nothing was made that wasn't made by Him. So how can a church now say, we apologize to you? You were, you were right all along. See, This is the apostasy that the Bible warned to fall in the way. Mm-hmm. And it is so pervasive that it is shocking. Yet there are people who remain in these churches. It baffles me that that could happen. 
This goes a lot further back than I realized. I thought it was more in my lifetime, but going oh, all the no. way back to oh, the fifties no. oh, and sixties. Oh, oh no! It, see what happened? It should have been nipped in the bud when it started, but because it was either ignored or tolerated, that emboldens people now to embrace further errors and to keep adding errors and errors. And you will find one thing, Nathan, as you move away from good, solid biblical doctrine, the position of morality also declines. And it becomes more accommodating to the cultural norms. And that's why you find that all of these major denominations that have gone away from the Christian faith and biblical truth are now embracing some of the worst immoral practices the Bible abominates and condemns. And you keep asking yourself, how is it possible that they could reach this state? The answer is, they reached here because long before they got here, they went away for a long time, and people just accommodated and tolerated. And believe you me, it will get worse. It's not going to get better. And that's why people need to come out. Come out from among them. The believer has no right with a non-believer. The man that is righteous with the man that is unrighteous. See, Come out from the error. And that is the mandate of the Bible. Uh, later on, if we get a chance, Nathan, we'll come to the great whore in Revelation. Chapter 7, in the apostate church of the end time that sits on the beast. You know what the, the command that is given to the Lord's people? Come out from her. Come out from her, my people. Come out from my people. Same. But again, that is the complete embodiment. And that's the epitome of the final apostasy, the, the great whore that will come, the, the great ecumenical church that is being formed today, made up of not just uh, um, churches, but made up of uh, Hindus, and made up of the Muslims, and made up of the Mormons, and made up of everybody, made up of some of the ab- Aborigines as well, and their false doctrines, and the, and the nature religions. We are getting a massive global ecumenical religion that any God that you want, you can come into it as long as you believe in God, but there has to be somebody who's the head. And who's going to be head of that? The Pope. Catholicism doesn't mean embracing other forms of religion, but we must be the head. And that is coming because the Bible talks about that in the book of Revelation chapter 17. As you're talking and giving these examples, and you're referencing the fact that it starts with falling away from doctrine, and then the morality starts to go. If you're listening this evening and you are thinking, you know what? Doctrine is boring. Doctrine isn't important. What a great reminder Pastor just shared with you. It is important what doctrine you teach, what or what doctrine you believe in, and what doctrine the church that you attend teaches. Pastor, what exactly is doctrine? Well, doctrine, the word doctrine really is, is teaching, right? And uh, there's teaching about the home, the family, the teaching about the atonement, they're teaching about adoption. They're teaching about justification. So basically, that's what doctrine is. It's a body of truth that deals with a specific topic. And uh, there are many different doctrines in the Bible, as you know. Sanctification, justification, glorification. Um, there's even the doctrine of creation, uh, the doctrine of the church, the doctrine of things to come, eschatology. There are specific areas that the Bible informs us and gives us data and information that we call all of these, uh, all this information and we systematically uh, put them under different headings so that you can trace the doctrine of the church in Paul's writings and John's writings, etc. So we bring them together to have a, a more comprehensive idea because no biblical writer gives you an exhaustive treatment of any basic doctrine. Paul sometimes does give you um, 
an elaboration, for example, on Corinthians about the Lord's Supper. Uh, very exhausted. But again, you've got to go to the gospel. There's still some things that are there that you can still expand on to give you a full comprehension of what that teaches. And that's what we mean by doctrine, teaching on specific topics in the Bible. We recall all the information, bring them under subheadings so we have a comprehensive understanding of what the Bible teaches on a particular topic. In the last three minutes of this episode, is there any additional examples, or I should say, are there any additional examples from uh, Anglican church leaders that you'd like to share? Well, um, I would just like to make one or two other quotes uh, yeah. from the Anglican Church. Uh, in 2009, May 2000, a vote by the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland, which is uh, an extension of the Anglican Church, to approve the appointment of a homosexual pastor called Scott Rennie. He was ordained the pastor of Queen's Cross Church in Aberdeen in 2009. He had divorced his wife to be currently involved with a man, and the church still has him as a pastor and ordained him as a pastor. <laughs> How is that possible? Right? Imagine me telling my church Sunday morning, you know, I've been having an affair with this man over here, and I no longer want to live with my wife, so I'm going to divorce my wife and, and marry. So the church gives me the right to divorce my wife and marry and keep me as a bishop. How is that possible? That gives you the, the, the lower level of morality. And it must be, Nathan, it must be that these people are not reading the Bible. It must be. It cannot be that they know the Bible and still tolerate this kind of stuff. Uh, I mentioned in two, May 29, 2009, Archbishop Emeritus of Cape Town, um, South Africa, Desmond Tutu, approved the appointment of a homosexual pastor saying to the churches that they should not be discussing who goes to bed with whom. Wow. When was the last time you read your Bible? In 2013, the Church of England dropped its ban on gay clergy in civil partnerships becoming bishops. In 2013. 2013. And then last one here, in 2022 July, the Anglican Church dropped a proposal to reaffirm traditional marriage. That is where we are. When you get away from the biblical doctrines on these matters your morality begins to deteriorate and begins to slide. And uh, that's what's happening within the Anglican Church. And you will discover as well, there's a parallel that goes on in these other denominations along the same, the move away from biblical doctrine, biblical truth, and then suddenly discover that there is a slide in, in morality and they, they now begin to embrace uh, things that the Bible abominates and condemns. That's where we are today, Nathan, uh, in connection with the Anglican Church. I often wrap up the program by asking you to speak to the listener who is maybe a part of the church uh, that you're addressing. What advice do you have to the bishop or the pastor or the church leader that is maybe part of one of these denominations that has started to apostate? What what advice do you have from the Bible? My advice is very simple. Um, you are responsible for your church and your people to lead them along biblical guidelines and in harmony with biblical with scripture. When you find that your denomination is now accommodating falsehood and embracing a certain immoralities that the Bible condemns, the time has come for you to meet with your church and explain to them the biblical position on these issues and get their permission to move your church out of that denomination. If you want to, uh, for a while, try to change it, I'm not going to dispute that part. You're trying to bring the denomination back. But you can't stay 
in a church or a denomination that clearly violates God's word, goes against scripture, goes against biblical principles, the doctrine, and then goes against biblical morality. To do so would be to endorse an error, and God is going to hold you responsible for your flock. In the last 20 seconds, can you whet our appetite for what direction we're going to be going in the next episode, Lord willing? Well, the next direction is I want to then look at the Episcopalian Church in America. The Episcopalian Church is the same as the Anglican Church, but after the Civil War, it changed from the Anglican Church to the Episcopalian Church. And I want to deal also with the United Methodist Church, which comes much more home here. And then, we'll, of course, we'll deal with the Lutheran, and then we'll deal with the Baptist. But I just want to show we're not trying to be biased or prejudiced. We just want you to know it's a worldwide apostasy. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth. Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.